Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. It's really great to be with you all today. Like, like, um, like Bill said, my name is Drew, or Andrew, as most people call me. Uh, but uh, it's great to be with you. And if we haven't got a chance to meet yet, I'd love to connect with you after the service. Um, but we are continuing in a series that we've been doing for the last couple of weeks, really along with a lot of the other vineyards around the country, which is kind of a unique thing for us. So I think that's pretty cool. But we're doing a series called Empowered, exploring this question of who is the Holy Spirit and how are we empowered through him? And if you hear two weeks ago when we kicked off this series, we, we talked about how the Holy Spirit is the great revealer. He's the great revealer. He, he reveals the real Jesus to us and to others. And, and last weekend, we celebrated, like Bill said, baptism of 17 people, which was so much fun, so awesome. And Michael talked about how the Holy Spirit is the great baptizer, how he, he baptizes us with himself. He immerses us with himself, his spirit, his presence uh, with us and in us. And today we're gonna talk about another role that the Holy Spirit um, has, and that's the role of being the, a great healer, the great healer. The Holy Spirit is the great healer. The Bible is full of stories of God healing people, of sickness and disabilities and demonic oppression, and all through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And he wants to partner with us in that and bring his healing to other people. So let's start off by just praying for a little bit. So come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Pray for your healing presence and power to come right now. You would even be, begin doing a work in this room and in our lives right now. We thank you for, for just being with us, that you're a God that's, that doesn't leave us to figure this out on our own, that you, you are with us, Lord, right here, right now. Pray you continue to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in talking about healing, I think this can be a really exciting topic for some people, depending on your background, your, your church upbringing, your, your personal experience. Maybe, maybe you've experienced some powerful encounter of healing in your own life, and it's, it brings back a lot of joy-filled memories for you. Um, or maybe somebody you loved experienced that. And so it brings back this excitement and, and joy-filled memories for you. But I also understand that for some of us, it, could, it can, to talk about healing, can maybe have some, some hesitation inside of us, some, uh, uh, some concern or some skepticism inside of us. Maybe depending on your background, again, it could be, you might have memories of, of disappointment or manipulation or confusion around the idea of healing. So I think it's important that we, we start off by talking about, well, how do we define that? What do we mean by biblical healing? What does, that, what does that actually mean and look like? Well, in his book, Doing Healing by Alexander Venter, who is a South African vineyard scholar and pastor, he defines healing in this, as this way. Healing is the event and or the process of restoring wholeness to the whole person. Pretty simple definition, but I like it a lot because it, it says a lot, I think. And, and, and healing can happen all at once or it can happen as over time as a process. But it is the idea of restoring wholeness to the whole person. 
to, to, to helping the person become healthy and complete. And, and that can look different ways. Of course, that's physically, yes, physical conditions, of course, but also it could be emotionally, mentally, relationally uh, with others and with God. Too. Part of the way God restores wholeness is by making us in right relationship with him, right? It's part of what Jesus came to do. And, and all throughout the Bible, we see examples of, of God's healing people and restoring this wholeness to people in various ways. And in the New Testament, after Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and it's kind of the image, this dove image of our whole series here, uh, what is one of the first things we see him do? It's that he begins to bring wholeness to people. He begins to heal people. Matthew 4, it says this, verses 23 through 25. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So right after, right after Jesus gets baptized, one of the first things he does is begin healing people, bringing wholeness to people. And as Jesus went around proclaiming to people the good news of the kingdom of God, that it's, it's here now. And by that, what I mean, the kingdom of God is just that what God is doing in heaven, what, what he once done in heaven is now beginning to happen here on earth. Jesus is not only telling people that it's, that it's here and it's happening, he's, he's demonstrating it. He's demonstrating, he's healing people. And I like to think of this as kind of the show and tell of Jesus' ministry. Right? Do you remember show and tell in school, right? <laughs> right? It's, it's one thing to tell somebody something's real or that you have experienced it or you have something and it's true. It's a whole nother level to show them, to show them. Uh, and especially if it's something that's a little surprising or a little unexpected maybe. And that's what we see Jesus begin to do right after being baptized when he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He not only tells people the good news of the kingdom, he shows them, he shows them that it's here. And, and that continued in the early church. Uh, with, 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 in the early church, in the book of Acts, we see the disciples and the, the early Christians were filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. And part of what they did was they told the good news to people, but they also showed the good news to people. And a number of healings are recorded in the book of Acts. We see the sick are healed, the lame walk, the, the possessed are set free. And there's nothing in the Bible, there's nothing in the Bible that says that we should now think as the modern church that this show and tell method should change. There's nothing in there that says, well, that was just for the early church. There's nowhere where it, it tells us that that should be any different today. You know, John Wimber, who is the, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, he used to tell this story of when he was a new Christian pastor, that he began to notice this show and tell method in the Bible. And he saw through Jesus' ministry and the early church's ministry that preaching and healing always seemed to, to go together. They always seemed to be happening at the same time. And, and one day, as John puts it, he was speed reading through the Bible on his lunch break, and he came upon John 
uh, chapter 14, verse 12, where Jesus says this, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And John said it was like the words just exploded off the page to him. And he just realized, I haven't been doing it. I haven't been. Like we haven't been doing it. We haven't been doing the stuff. We've been, we've been telling people the good news, but we haven't been taking risks and showing them the good news. And so over the next couple of months, and, and, and John would preach every Sunday about a story of healing in the Bible. He would talk about it. And then he, they would spend time uh, showing it, praying for it. Uh, and do you know what happened? Do you know what happened over those first few months? Nothing. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. You know, in fact, they would pray for the sick. And John said, people just got sicker. Like the, people, like the people who prayed for the sick, next week they were out sick and so they weren't there at church. It just seemed like it wasn't going the direction that they thought it should be going. And internally, John expressed it. He said, I began to get really frustrated with God. Like, like God, you're telling me to do this stuff, but, but yet you're not backing it up. I don't, I don't get it. Like we're not seeing the empowerment of the Holy Spirit moving like I, we would expect you to. And this continued for over a year. Over a year, they kept praying for people and really didn't see anything, anything happen. And then one day, uh, a husband of a new family in their church who had recently just started coming called John up and asked John to come over to his house because his wife was really sick. She was in bed with a fever and, and wasn't feeling well. And he said, I know we're new to the church, but, but I've seen that you guys pray for the sick, so could you come over? And John reluctantly said yes. He said, I didn't really want to go, to be honest. I thought it would be a waste of my time and their time, but I felt like I had to go. And so he, he, he showed up and he, 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 he went to their house. And there, sure enough, the wife's in bed, like red face, swollen face, like, you know, strong fever, laying in bed. Um, and John walked over to her and basically prayed what he would say a half-hearted prayer, a real short half-hearted prayer. And he turned to the husband to, to, to basically give a speech he'd perfected over the last year to basically say, well, sometimes, you know, we don't always see the Holy Spirit move like we'd like to see him move. But he noticed that the husband's face was just oh, this big smile. And he was looking over John's shoulder and John turned around to see the wife up out of bed color in her face, all back to normal. She's making the bed completely fever-free in an instant. And John was so shocked. He didn't even stick around to process with the husband and wife what had just happened. He's so shocked. He ran out of the house. He ran to his car and he yelled, we got one. <laughs> he was just so excited, so excited. And this started a faith journey in John that led him to believe that not only could we pray, for the sick to be healed, like Jesus and the early church did, but that we should be praying for the healing of the sick. And in the vineyard, you know, this is something that has been foundational in the vineyard movement, that we believe we are people of the Spirit. We should pray for those who are ill, or we should pray for healing for people. It's part of what we do and spend time doing. Every week we offer that at the end of the service. Uh, but it wasn't as if in, in the early vineyard days, it wasn't as if, okay, from that point on, everybody who was prayed for got healed. That wasn't the case. They're, they began to see a number of people get healed, but they also saw a lot of people not get healed, at least not in the timing and the manner 
that they would hope for. And it really led to this idea of the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. This developing this idea that sometimes we see God move now and sometimes we, we don't see God move right away like we hoped he would or think he would. It's part of the not yet. And I'll, I'll talk more about that uh, later, but it leads to this question of, well, if we're gonna do this, right? If we're gonna do this, if we're gonna pray for healing, then how? How do we do it? How do we partner with the ultimate healer, the Holy Spirit, and praying for people with an expectation that he can, he can heal people, but also not feel like failures when we don't see him always healing people in the way that we think we'd like him to, to do. So how do we do this stuff, as John Wimber used to put it? How do we do this stuff in a healthy way? Well, well, I think we have to ask the question, well, what do we see Jesus do? Because he's our perfect example. He's our perfect model of partnering with the Holy Spirit. So what do we see Jesus doing? Sometimes I, I like to imagine what it would have been like to be one of Jesus' disciples. I think that would have been helpful to actually have seen him in action, right? Like to, to have been like the disciple, like, like Matthew, or maybe I should, Andrew, I, that is my name. I should probably be Andrew. Uh, but just to watch him uh, in action and, and take notes, like take notes. Okay, what do we see Jesus doing? Like, is there some sort of formula that we can kind of see in him? And, and just let's look at some examples. And just to, be, just to be specific, let's just look at a few examples of Jesus healing blindness, okay? Like there's a couple different times where Jesus heals blindness. Let's look at Matthew 20. Two blind men came to Jesus and asked him to heal them. And it says this in verse 32 through 34. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and he touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. Now again, if I'm, if I'm the disciple, Andrew, and I'm over here taking notes, right? Okay, I'm writing down, okay, touch eyes. That seems to be the key, right? Okay, all right, I think I'm getting this, okay? But then you read Mark 8, there's another example, 22 through 25. It says, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. They must have figured out that this is how it's done. They, he's got to touch you, right? But he took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. So, wow, okay, again, I'm Andrew. Okay, so sometimes touching eyes isn't enough. Sometimes you gotta spit in their face. Someone needs to teach Jesus some manners, right? Like, this is not very polite, but okay. So in some cases, maybe that's what you have to do, right? But then in Mark 10, two chapters later, there's a blind name blind man named Bartimaeus, he calls out to Jesus and Jesus says this, Mark 10, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Okay, wait a minute. He didn't touch him. He didn't spit on him. I didn't, it actually doesn't seem like he did much of anything, right? Like, like, I didn't see him do anything. Maybe he's real, real, real quick, sneaky Jesus or something like that, but it doesn't seem like he did. Like, I give up. Like, I don't, how do, I don't know. There seems to be no 
formula for this. And that's actually true. There is no formula for this. We don't see a formula in Jesus. And I think as human beings, that's why it gets so frustrating and so confusing because we like formulas. We like formulas. We, we, we like to know if I do A, then I can expect result B. Like we like that feeling every time, but that's just not how it works with Jesus. But while we don't see formulas, we do see common elements. We do see common themes in the healings that Jesus performs through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I wanna talk about two of those themes today. Two of those themes. One, one involves the person doing the healing, the healer. And, and when I say that, meaning like it's the person isn't, we know it's the Holy Spirit working through them who's actually doing the healing. But you know, one is through that person. The other is through the person being healed. That's the second theme. But the first theme of the person you know, praying for healing is the compassion of the healer the compassion of the healer. In every single instance that Jesus heals somebody, we see compassion in him, compassion in him. Sometimes it's implied, but sometimes it's explicitly said right there in the text. Going back to the story of Matthew 20, of him healing two, two of the um, two men. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a lar- large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted even louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. I think the key here has less to do with Jesus touching their eyes and more to do with the compassion he has for them. The crowd was not compassionate towards them. The crowd was in fact angry with them, rebuked them, was annoyed by them, right? But Jesus stops because he has compassion for them. The compassion of the healer seems to be the key in this story. Actually, a better way to translate this verse is to say that Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion to heal them. Moved, meaning there's action in Jesus' heart to do something about it. Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines compassion as this, a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate that distress. So it's, it's both having a sympathy, a, a feeling of sorry for a person, but it's more than that. It's more than that. Compassion takes that feeling and joins it together with a desire to do something about it, to help. And in this case, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, Jesus could do something about it to help. When we are the recipient of the compassion of Christ, when we realize that the good news is that Jesus was so moved with compassion that he willingly went to the cross for us, that he was not only sympathetic to, to our distress and our broken, sinful human condition, but also that he had a desire and a power to do something about it right? To, to, to go to the cross, to save us, 
to heal us, to bring wholeness to us. When we experience that kind of compassion, it, it changes us, it transforms us. And we wanna be like our teacher. We wanna be like our, our rabbi. And through the Holy Spirit, we can be moved with compassion and we can, we can partner with him. We can partner with him. And, and like in this example, we see that the crowd and at other times we see uh, even Jesus' disciples lack compassion for those in need of healing. They, they judge them. They make assumptions about them. But Jesus never does that. He never does that. He's moved with compassion for the sick, for the disabled, for the, for the hurting. And so, so first we see the key is, there's one key is the compassion of the healer. But we also see the second element that I wanna talk about is, is the faith of the person being healed. The compassion of the healer and the faith of the healed. Over and over and over again, when Jesus heals individuals, the theme of faith seems to come up again and again and again. In fact, a couple of the times we talked about already today, is Jesus says, hey, your faith is what has healed you, right? But what does that mean? What does that mean? Because I think in the big C church, I think this misunderstanding around the role of faith and healing and how they go together has unintentionally caused so much pain in people's lives. There's people carrying around guilt and shame that if they've asked God to heal them, right, and he doesn't, or he doesn't in the manner or the timing that they ask him to, or they, they've, been, they've prayed for a loved one to be healed and he doesn't, at least not in the manner or the timing that they hoped he would for, that, that, that must be because they didn't have enough faith that they carry around guilt and shame and they blame themselves because they haven't had enough faith. And that misunderstanding of how faith and healing work together, I think has again caused so much suffering in the history of the church. But in the gospel of Luke, there's this beautiful story of Jesus healing someone that I think illustrates this faith of what real faith looks like, what real faith looks like. It's in Luke 7. I want to read it to you. It's verses 1 through 10. It says this, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. And there a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him and, and asked him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. And they said, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he's built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them and he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one to come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turned to the crowd following him and said, I, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. 
What's amazing to me about this story is it's not even really about the faith of the servant who was healed. It's actually more of the faith of, of his boss, the, his master, the, the Roman centurion. And, and, and notice in the story, it's actually not because he deserves it. It's not because he deserves it. When the, when the Jewish elders come to Jesus on behalf of the Roman centurion, they wanna make it all about how this man deserves it. This man deserves to have you do this, Jesus, because he loves our nation. He's built our synagogue. Here we have a, a Roman who loves the Israelite people. It's kind of a unique thing. He paid for the church basically to be built, right? He paid for the sound system or the kids wing to be added on, right? And, 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 and he said, they're saying, Jesus, this is why you should come. This is why you should come. Um, and Jesus starts to head towards his house to heal the servant. But I don't think that's why Jesus went. I think it has more to do with Jesus' compassion for this servant. But then something really interesting happens. As Jesus is, is on the way, as he's getting close to this man's house, the centurion sends a second group, a second group of friends to stop Jesus. First he tells him to come, now he's telling him to stop. He says, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. You know, at first, the first group of Jewish elders wanted to, him to come and help, thinking he deserved it and he was worthy. But he himself knows that he's not worthy, that he doesn't deserve it. And isn't that true of us sometimes? Sometimes we have people in our lives who maybe look up to us, They've seen things that we've done. They've seen things that we've done, kind things or generous things or helpful things. And when they think, they think that, oh, that, this person does, they deserve everything, you know. But we know, we know on the inside that we don't deserve it. We know that despite all those good things that we're really still broken and we're sinful and we're not worthy of Jesus coming to us. And yet Jesus still is willing to come to us. He's always willing to come to us. Um, but, but what's amazing to me here, again, about this story is essentially he says, you know, Jesus, if you're, willing, if you're willing to do it, Jesus, you don't have to even come. You can just say the word. I know that will be enough. You don't even have to come and touch my servant or spit on him or do any of these other things I've heard you do, right? You don't have to do any of that. Just say the word. As the Roman soldier, he understood how authority worked. He understood he, he's, you know, how authority works. Jesus, if you're willing, all you have to do is give the order and I know it will get done, right? Jesus then turns to the crowd and he says, never have I seen great faith like this in all of Israel. This is real faith is what he's, he's essentially saying. This is real faith. And what I love about the centurion's faith in this story is that he expects a yes, but he accepts a no. He expects a yes, but he accepts a no. Real faith expects a yes, but will accept a no. What do I mean by that? Well, he sends his friends the second time, hoping that Jesus will do what he wants, but he accepts that the Lord might not give the order. He might not do it. He hopes Jesus will say the word. He hopes for a yes, but he's prepared for a no. That's real faith. 
That's real faith. Back in verse three, again, the centurion, he sends the first group of Jewish elders to ask Jesus to come. That's his first request, will you come? But then he changes his mind with his second group of friends, right? He says, "Never mind. you don't have to come. You know, what I, what's happening here is that he wants Jesus to come. He hopes he'll come, but now he shows the depth of his faith when he sends the second group and says, no, you don't have to come. You don't have to come because I trust you no matter what. I trust you, Jesus, can handle this situation however you see is best to handle it. God, I would love for you to come and do it my way, but you don't have to do it my way. I trust your way. I trust your way. In the end, no matter what happens, I trust you. In the end, no matter what happens, I will worship you. In the end, no matter what happens, I will put my faith in you. That's real faith. That's real faith. And what's amazing is to me is, and I don't know if you noticed it, but Jesus doesn't ever say the word, right? He doesn't say this, your servant has been healed or be healed or anything like that. Jesus, again, he doesn't really say anything like that, right? From an outside perspective, we don't see him do anything, but when the friends go back to the house, they find that the servant is well. And sometimes like in this story, the answer will be yes. Yes, and we see God heal in powerful ways. But sometimes it's, it's no or, or not yet. Real faith worships Jesus when the answer is now. And real faith worships Jesus when the answer is not yet, right? Real faith worships when the answer is yes and when it's a no. And we have to hold these things in tension. We have to hold these things in tension, the now and the not yet, of the kingdom of God. Every Tuesday morning, as a staff, we get together uh, and we take some time for, to have a meeting. Our weekly staff meeting where we go over the ins and outs of what's happening in the church. We, we, we celebrate what God's been doing. And part of our time is we pray together. We pray together as a group for the church. We pray and celebrate again some of the things we've seen God doing. We pray for the needs of the church. We pray for, for those of you who send in prayer requests and, and things like that. And, and we do that every week. And, and we, we started to do that this week. We, um, and, uh, and right when we started praying, I felt this nudging from the Holy Spirit to, 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 to share, hey, I think God might want us to take some time as a staff to just pray for anybody who personally would love to see God come and heal them in some way. Because as staff members, we can be a little stubborn sometimes. <laughs> uh, we, we're used to praying for other people, but we're not always used to asking for prayer. And I just I had this nudging in my head. And, but, but if I can be completely honest, I, I didn't want to bring it up. I didn't want to bring it up. And the reason why I didn't want to bring it up was because I was really, really hungry. Just being honest, I was like, we pray right before we break for lunch at noon and I was starving. And I just was like, oh, Lord, this is gonna go make it go longer. It's gonna like take more time. And my stomach is like rumbling like crazy. And I, I, so I just, I just, to be honest, I just don't want to bring it up. I just, I want to get to lunch. And so I made this deal with God, which I would not recommend doing this, but I made this deal with God in my mind. I said, okay, God, I'll make you a deal. Uh, if there are more than five minutes left and it gets kind of silent among the staff and it seems like we're kind of done praying, then I'll bring it up. 
which again, God is so gracious, <laughs> right? But, but I made this deal with him. And so, I, so we're praying for different things around as the staff. And, and then all of a sudden I realized after a few minutes, like it got quiet and I had my eyes closed and it wasn't because I was in this really holy moment with God. Nope, I was waiting him out. I was not gonna look at the clock. I was not gonna do it. But eventually I opened my eyes and I looked at the clock and you know what time it was? It was six minutes till noon, six minutes. I told God, not, not, it had to be more than five. And, and I thought, okay, he can beat me at my own game. But, but so I bring it up. I brought it up with the staff and I just said, hey, I just had this sense that God is inviting us to, that some of you just wanna ask him for, for healing in some part of our life and, and we should do that. And four people on staff shared things and they began to share what they would want prayer for. And you know what was interesting was immediately when they began to share, all of a sudden, I didn't care that I was hungry anymore. I was, my, I was so filled with compassion for them. I, we could have gone for hours and I wouldn't have cared. It was like, it was, it was like, it was just, again, so much compassion came over. We, we split up in different groups and began praying for people. One of the four people who asked for prayer was Jonathan, our worship pastor. And we were praying, and, and myself and, and Megan, and we were praying for him. And immediately I put my hand on his back and it started to feel hot, like almost immediately. And Jonathan described it as, as feeling like burning going on. And, and one of the things we were praying, the reason why we were praying for that was Jonathan had hurt his back. Jonathan had hurt his back. And I already knew that before we started praying because Jonathan had come into my office earlier that morning and he had, he had hurt his back and he sat down in my chair like, like this, like, hey, Andrew, I, um, can you help me with something? I was like, yeah, what's going on? He said, I tweaked my back and can you help me move the keyboard? So I already knew. So it wasn't a surprise that Jonathan asked for a prayer for his back. But uh, so we, as soon as we started praying, my hand got hot and Jonathan said it felt like burning. And, um, and, and I could see it on his face. He was experiencing something of the Holy Spirit. And, and so we prayed for just, it wasn't a long time, like 30 seconds, maybe, maybe a minute tops. And I said, Jonathan, it seems like God might be doing something. He said, yeah, it is super hot on my back. He said, let me, let me test it out. Let me test it out. And so he bends over, bends over and he goes, pop, 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 pop. And I thought, oh, well, that's either really good or really bad. I don't know. And he's like, no, it feels a ton better. It's not 100% better. It feels a ton better. So, so let's, well, let's keep praying. Let's pray some more. So we pray a second time. Again, short prayer. Just come Holy Spirit, heal his back. And, and this time he said it started to feel cool. It started to feel cool. And, and then he kind of stretched a little bit more and it's, okay, it's still not there. And so we prayed a third time and then it felt really cool, he said. And, and, and so we kind of were at this point, like, this is exciting stuff. We start, but we, we start wrapping up praying and you know, there's different groups again around the room praying for people, but it's definitely, I'm definitely getting hungry by now. Um, and we start to kind of wrap up and we start to head to the cafe and, and I'm going to the cafe because that's where we're gonna eat lunch. And Jonathan starts to head outside. I said, Jonathan, where are you going? He said, I'm going outside, I'm running. I'm testing out my new back. And he's running around the parking lot like a little kid. I'm like, don't get hit by a car, right? Um, but but he, it was so exciting. It was so exciting. But at the same time, there were three other people who got prayer too. And they didn't see God move in any major significant way. And, and that's what we're talking about. This tension of the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God and praying for healing. Actually, if the worship team wants to start to come back out, Jonathan, don't run and trip on cords or anything. But, um, but that's what we're talking about. This idea of, of at the vineyard, you know, one of the things we value 
is, is, is going for it. And you know, the other three staff members who God didn't heal in a major significant way, it wasn't because of a lack of faith. It wasn't at all. They're some of the most faith-filled people I know. It wasn't that Jonathan had more faith than they did. It wasn't that at all. It was that God was just doing something different in their lives right now. And so we, you know, when we, when we pray for people, we have to hold these things in tension and in balance. We pray asking and expecting now, expecting a yes, but we accept a not yet. Because we know ultimately God's plan is to ultimately bring wholeness to us completely. It may not be, you know, until next, the next life, but, it, but we know that's God's ultimate plan. And, and so we, we, we go after it and we, we pray for it and we celebrate when it happens and we don't, we don't get discouraged when it doesn't happen or in the timing or the manner that we do. We keep praying and we worship God no matter what. We, we hold on to faith in him no matter what. Amen? Amen. Okay, why don't we stand up? Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.